to How to Be a Better DM, the official podcast of Monsters.Rent. I'm your host today, Justin Lewis, and together we're going to talk about how to improve your gameplay, both from a mechanical and a storytelling point of view. And today I'm excited to talk about an aspect of the game that for me actually holds a lot of interest and for a lot of people can actually be a rich source of story elements and intrigue. But at the same time, for other people, it can be completely boring and honestly, possibly off-putting. I'm talking about gods, faith, and religion. Now, the very first thing you need to do is assess your table's comfort level with the topics of gods, religions, and faith, right? In some cases, you're going to have a natural understanding, right? In my case, a few members of my table are also members of my faith, so I know that they're okay talking about some of these topics. In other circumstances, it would be a smart idea to ask if the table's alright with these themes and topics in the game. In most D&D settings, having a mystical god or gods is actually part and parcel to the game. But depending on how your players feel about it, then you might want to tread lightly. Some people, uh, for religion, for some people, religion is really a sore spot, right? So some games might be focused on the path of divinity, but others might have gods that are just not even there. So no matter what you do, you want to avoid, first of all, these two mistakes. First, avoid pushing religion. I'm saying this as a religious person. You do not want to turn your D&D sessions into sermons. I know you're probably thinking that that, that would kind of be funny and it actually might be, but honestly, you don't want to force your players into role-playing something that they don't want to role-play. A person's faith is very personal, and if someone is not a person of organized religion or deity, then they don't have to be, even in a make-believe world, right? You don't have to force them. In fact, you shouldn't. The second mistake you should absolutely avoid <clears throat> is the opposite. Avoid making a farce of religion. Don't make fun of religion and don't make it appear as something that is just completely farcical and nonsensical. Even though your players might be okay with it, it's best not to form bad habits because there will eventually come a time when you sit down to play at a, at a table with someone who does care. And then you're going to make a slip up and, and that's just going to ruin your experience of D&D because things are just going to spiral out of control. It's best to avoid those big mistakes by keeping good habits. <clears throat> Excuse me. Extend the same consideration and courtesy you would to any other sort of way of life, right? You always want everyone at the table to feel calm and welcome. Now, with your players on board for having gods be an active part of the game, let's talk about some other questions that you're going to need to ask. These questions will apply to both homebrew settings and settings that are pre-written, but the questions are going to apply a little bit differently to each. <clears throat> the first question is how involved would your gods be? This is important because if they won't even matter, then you probably don't need anything else in this episode, right? <clears throat> I'd still recommend listening to the end because you never know when a player might ask you a question or make a choice that might start a chain reaction to make the gods more involved in your setting. So keep listening. In different settings, gods behave differently. In some games, gods are active members of the universe. They grant divine boons here and there. Uh, they show up here and there. They perform miracles. 
in other settings, gods are basically hidden. They're, they're not even there, deciding not to intervene with their followers' lives, right? It's important that you know which type of setting yours is and how the gods are going to interact with players and NPCs alike. Really, the interaction of gods falls on a spectrum with sort of an asterisk next to it. The spectrum is set up with very involved on the left and not involved at all on the right. And this asterisk stipulates that the spectrum can describe the entire setting and the involvement of each individual deity within the setting. For example, an entire pantheon could be relatively involved with maybe one or two gods being basically inactive. Or you could have the inverse, where the pantheon is a non-entity with one or two who are trying to control the universe. And actually thinking about that, both instances would make for a very fun campaign setting. Now let's talk about interactions with players. Unless you have players who are clerics or paladins, you don't necessarily need to have the gods interact with your players, or god, if you only have one. In fact, you could actually make the case for why your god doesn't interact with a devoted cleric or paladin to make a story even more interesting. There are many different ways to set up how your gods interact with your players to make the story better. But you need to think of that before you begin. And if you do have gods who interact with players, you need to know how involved the gods will be with those players. Will any particular god in question have multiple role-playing scenes face-to-face -face with the player? And if they did, would that be normal for the player or the god? Sorry, not the player, the character or the god? See, each of these choices has impacts on the story. And you should definitely try and help your players realize when something special is happening. But first, you have to know if something special is happening by deciding early on whether or not it would be special. Will your players know that sometimes they're talking to a god? Or maybe your deity has decided to just be a beneficial patron of the player or player character, but not really show themselves. And the players, the player characters might draw this conclusion that a wealthy landowner has just decided to show them favor when in reality it's a god in disguise. Sometimes you're going to need to realize that if one god is involved, like very involved, like what I just said, right? The, the, the landowner who's trying to help a party, that might push another deity who is directly at odds with the god in question who's helping the party. It might push this other one into doing the opposite, to, to, to getting involved in stopping the party or, or hampering the party, hindering the party. You might actually end up putting your party in between a turf war of two gods, which would also make a very good campaign. It would make it very epic. I would say that you need to set some pretty simple yet clear guidelines for yourself. Guidelines, remember that word, for yourself on what the party members can expect from a deity. Do they hear whisperings of advice when the player has no idea what to do? Oh, holy Ossus, guide me in this moment of my need. Sure, take a left. Or... Does God just show up in a brief vision and explain that a certain task needs doing? Carnadrius, I command you to build a bridge over the tiny babbling brook. These are two sort of silly examples, but 
Are these normal for your deity? When you have established these sort of rules for how gods interact with players, that when, that's when it becomes really fun to break the rules occasionally. And you can use that as a plot device because, again, you've stipulated this is not normal, so this is a very special situation you're having, and it's time to really sit in that feeling of specialness. Next question you need to ask is more about the setting than the individual player interactions. Is your pantheon filled with numerous gods, only a handful, or just one? This question naturally morphs into other considerations. For example, <clears throat> if your pantheon is filled with multiple gods, then the likelihood of all the gods having omniscient goes, omniscience goes way down. Having seven beings who all know everything that is happening, yet have cross-purposes sometimes becomes very difficult to handle very fast. You start to wonder, why would God A, who knows everything, but hates God B, not be able to stop God B, who knows everything, right? It becomes very confusing. Or the gods just know everything to the point that nothing, you know, nothing really matters that they do because they would just be able to stop each other. So in that instance, would the gods just become more observers in the cosmos than actors? I suppose you could probably figure out a way to make it work, but I haven't. Because at that point, they're not really gods. They're more just super powerful beings that kind of sit on the sidelines. You could make a case for a campaign that does that, though. It would, be, it would be interesting, right? If you have one god, it's much more possible for them to have omniscience. Having them favor certain things, though, becomes much more difficult. Either the god is the god of everything, or for some reason, maybe your god is just very partial to only a few things. Your god is the only god, but they are the god of bicycles. I don't know. And, and, and that, that would just be kind of weird, right? So... If you wanted to do that, that would probably make for a very good, silly setting, a joke setting, or it just wouldn't really make sense. So you need to think about these things when you start creating your pantheon. And with this question also comes the question of whether or not the characters and the world at large would know about the god or all the gods. In fact, it could make for a very fascinating campaign if there's... A few gods that are very present and obvious to the world, but uh, a quest is revealed where more gods could be discovered. Next, you need to ask whether or not your god is good, neutral, or evil, or if that even matters. You also need to decide whether the gods will actively fight against each other or will they be friendly towards each other. Let's take an example. Let's, let's make up two gods. We have Ordos and Sruptos the good god of order and the evil god of chaos, respectively. In your setting, will Ordos and Sriptos be battling each other to the death, if possible? Or will they, by the nature of the invincibility of gods, be forced to be cordial and respectful to each other, using mortals as mere game pieces on a game board rather than soldiers in battle? All of these questions add to the narrative and help you know how to bend and twist the story. If you have multiple gods, then it's common to have gods who have all sorts of alignment. If you have only one god, alignment isn't really useful unless it is pivotal to the story. For example, if you only have one god, but that god just so happens to be evil, 
that could be the genesis for a very interesting campaign setting. I'd imagine the, the god has some sort of rules that prohibit them from taking certain actions, like destroying the universe, but those rules would allow the characters to still choose to be good if they want. The god would probably be prohibited from hampering free agency. Or the entire cosmos is evil and everything just works within those parameters. But by deciding how your god is, it helps to shape the rest of everything in your setting. And as you can see, how gods act and react shapes as well the story. Now, I just brought up a point that will force us to think about these next two questions. Number one, can gods be killed? And number two, can anyone become a god? In the previous example of Ordos and Shruptos, I explained that they might have to treat each other like game partners because they can't kill each other. In fact, you could have them have to treat each other like game partners because they are so capable that if one tried to, to beat the other, they would end up killing each other. Either way, the fact remains, they are essentially stuck with each other forever. In your campaign, you need to decide early on if gods can be killed. In fact, that could be, that could turn out to be one of the secret quests of one of your players. They want revenge on one of the gods because they let their wife die or something like that. Or basically the, the story of God of War. That could become obviously a very epic story as it has become a very epic game. You could also take the opposite approach and show that the gods cannot be killed. In the same story, let's say the player who wants revenge, he spends the entire campaign trying to figure out how to kill the god. And yet the god spends the entire campaign trying to gain back the trust of this vengeful player. And, and you could put in some really epic moments of the god basically showing up and saying, Hey, you can't kill me. It's impossible. You could even show in some touching moments where the god explains that he's even tried to kill himself because he's just kind of reached that point, but it didn't work. You see how these, these minor things can have major effects on the story. If gods can be killed, then you also need to start figuring out what does and what doesn't kill a god. As I've already mentioned, that means that you also need to figure out why other gods haven't used those means to kill their rivals. And in most cases, god killing will be a very difficult task. It's going to be near impossible. In fact, in many ancient mythologies, gods were quote-unquote killed, but if their body parts were reunited, the god was essentially brought back to life. <clears throat> In other fantasy settings, like Brandon Sanderson's Cosmere, when a quote-unquote god dies, also spoiler alert, uh, when a god dies, their power essentially either rests on the planet that the god was bound to, or the power seeks out another host, transcending them to godhood. So in your setting, how is it going to be? Can anyone just kill a god? What happens when the god dies? If they were the god of sunrises, does the sun, does the sun stop shining? All of these questions are crucial to answer. Now on the flip side, the next question that needs to be addressed is whether or not becoming a god is possible. This too could potentially become a personal quest of one of your party members, so you need to know whether or not it is possible. This question can be decided in the moment as well though in, in role-playing, as, as you're just in the moment. If the answer is yes to the question of can anyone become a god, then you probably need to answer the follow-up question of why aren't there more gods? 
The natural answer will probably be because becoming a god is very difficult, near impossible. A more interesting answer might be that becoming a god is not even actually that desirable, for reasons that are unknown to most people, both of which, both, both answers could be the genesis of two very interesting campaigns. And the point I'm trying to make with these two questions of killing or becoming gods is that deity can be a very powerful plot point, and since that can be so powerful, you have to treat them with care and attention. You can't do it just willy-nilly. Your parents are, <laughs> your parents, your players will wonder why gods can be killed at the drop of a hat. And maybe that would be an interesting story. But you better have a good, well-thought-out reason why. And, and true, you, you can probably come up with something in the moment, but it needs to make sense because in most cases, gods have their hands in a lot of pots, so to speak. When setting any scene, it's imperative that you tap into the five senses. When it comes to sound, one of the best ways to do that is with music, ambiance, and sound effects. And that's why we've teamed up with Monument Studios. Monument Studios provides easy-to-use soundboards perfect for dungeon mastering in any setting. If you want to see this in action, go to fantasy-plus.com and get 10% off of your first month when you get their Fantasy Plus app by using the code BETTERDM at checkout. Again, that's fantasy-plus.com and BETTERDM at checkout. Use music to amplify your gameplay. Now that we've talked at length about using gods in your campaign setting, let's start diving in into how to move your story along using faith. We all know that great stories in D&D start with plot hooks, or rather, simple introductory elements that entice players to explore a particular storyline more to eventually find a, a much larger and much more fulfilling story. Uh, a simple example of a plot hook is, while digging through this dungeon, you find a strange bow made out of black wood in the hands of a corpse that dried up decades ago. You pick up the bow, and in your mind, you hear, Hello. The player doesn't know practically anything about the bow except that it said hello which is interesting and curious that's actually a real example for my current campaign the bow is cursed and my wife is still mad to this day that uh, i got her to pick up a cursed bow <clears throat> when it comes to faith there are limitless plot hooks to use that's probably the most common way to use faith or religion or god as a plot device it can help start the story another tidbit about plot devices is that they are just plot hooks, except usually you have knowledge that connects past experiences to the plot hook. An example of this would be, while traveling on this long road to do your deity's bidding, you turn a quarter and see your god bartering with a local merchant. He does not notice you. You approach him and confront him, only to have him completely vanish. Before he did though, you put your hand on his arm and were not shocked by his overabundance of power. He felt warm and mortal. This plot device has the same elements as a plot hook, in that it makes the consumer of the story curious and incentivized to finish the story. But we also have some knowledge of the god before the exchange. In my estimation, there are only two ways 
to really use plot devices in D&D, and certainly only two when it comes to faith. I may be wrong, though. Please let me know uh, in the comments of uh, this page, or you can send me a message on Instagram at HowToBeABetterDM or at MonstersRent. But these two methods are the push and the pull. So the push. A, a plot device is designed to move the story along. And since our players are the main motivators of the story, a plot device in D&D is designed to get the players taking action in any particular direction. A good DM, then, gives lots of reasons for players to have their characters choose various paths. The push method is generally something that happens or exists in the space a character is in that the character wants to avoid or eliminate. Let me say that again. The push method is generally something that happens or exists in the space a character is in that the character wants to avoid or eliminate. In the case of faith or religion, a few examples would include the character grew up as a child of insane cultists worshipping a demon lord. The push would be they want to leave, they want to get out of this religion. The character lives in a town where a religion runs rampant and is very xenophobic. This would be an example of a negative thing pushing the character to do something different. The character has been persecuted themselves for their religious beliefs. This would be another push to get them to do something different. <clears throat> the character does not agree with the popular religion of their area. For the most part, the push method is the installment of some sort of negative circumstance for the character that they want to get rid of. The idea is that the character wants to avoid something negative. Now, the pull method is basically the opposite. It's the pursuit of something positive. Usually, these circumstances exist or don't yet exist, but they exist elsewhere. Some great examples of this are, the character wants more peace in their mortal life, so they go seeking it. The character wishes to attain great spiritual power. A monk wants to get, become the top of their class, I guess you could say. The character wants to rid the world of evil or of good. The character wants to restore a religion to its previous glory. In all of these, the character is reaching for something that they do not yet have. In reality, both of these methods are really the same. It doesn't matter much whether a character is running from the hopeless condition they're in or they are running to find hope somewhere else. Two sides of the same coin. It only matters if it matters to the player and the character. Now let's talk about using faith and religion as tools to affect change within a character's life and make them more dynamic character drivers. Usually this means introducing some sort of conflict. I sometimes view conflict in a story as sort of a very hard object that will either break a clump of minerals or crack bits off, slowly revealing the precious gemstone inside. And that's sort of how you have to view it with your characters and players. Either, either way, we use these elements to create instances where the character knows that things have changed and that they can't continue being the person that they were. They're sort of uh, pinch points, you could also think of it. Religion, faith, and God are perfect for this application. My go-to usually involves something that my character in question already wants. I then try and make wanting that thing either more difficult, more confusing, or strangely unattainable. Or, or strangely attainable. I figure they already have this motivation, so let's put a twist on the motivation. When it comes to religion and faith, here's a few examples that you might try. The faith crisis. 
The first method is, is one that a lot of us have probably experienced, so I would maybe opt for this one first. Although it strangely might be harder within a fantasy D&D setting where gods, you know, grant divine power. This is the faith crisis. Most, Most of us who grew up within a particular faith probably had wonderful experiences as kids, but then realized that the world is a lot harder to make sense of when you grow up. And you could have the same thing happen to your player. You could have them, you know, go through this faith crisis and realize that things aren't as simple as they thought. Admittedly, it's very common that a faith crisis develops when someone thinks about the religious organization rather than the tenets of the religious organization. But there's nothing wrong with the character questioning the tenets of their God. In fact, in, a very, in the very well-written books of R.A. Salvatore, spoiler alert, Driz do Erden, the skilled drow elf from the Underdark, realizes he has no affinity for the teachings of the Spider Queen Lolth. He experiences a faith transformation and decides to forego all the, the customs and teachings of his entire people in favor of what he believes to be right and good. And that's a perfect example. Also, a quick side note, these character drivers must also come with some benefits and also some negative consequences. In the case of Drizzt, he was able to live with a clean conscience, but he was also forced to leave his homeland or face death. Now let's make up an example uh, of a faith crisis your character might undergo. <clears throat> the most obvious faith crisis would be for the character to discover that a large part of their religion is just a cover for malignant activities. But that's too easy, so let's, let's try something a little more nuanced. Also, I must add that a faith crisis doesn't always mean that the character abandons the faith. Sometimes the faith crisis turns into a metamorphosis. So for our example, let's say, Xander, the tiefling paladin, serves my homebrew god of Coronis, or Coronis, or Crown, as he is commonly called. Crown champions the leader, the patriarch, those in command, and those who make difficult decisions. He's all about guiding those who lead people. Xander decided to follow Crown because Xander's father, Xantos, prayed to Crown for guidance in protecting and providing for his family. Xander always felt the trust his father felt in Kernis and was deeply motivated and moved. He grew up wanting to be a leader himself and believing that a leader or a king or a governor must have the best interests of his people. And then Xander became an adventurer. One thing you need to know about my homebrew world of integrity is that the alignment of the pantheon changes. Each god cycles through all the alignments. This is essentially their zodiac. And in fact, priests spend enormous amounts of time trying to divine which god will be evil and which god will be good every year as the alignment shifts at the turning of the year. This means that each god preaches their philosophies in both a good and an evil way. Along the road, Xander and his companions meet a High Lord who rules with an iron fist, but who is a devout follower of Curranus. Xander's party decide to topple this High Lord to bring peace back to the region. During the final battle between the two, Xander calls to Curranus for power and aid, only to see his opponent, the evil High Lord, doing the same. Their power cancels each other's out, and Xander is left to fight with just his martial prowess for the duration of the combat encounter. Xander's party kills the evil High Lord, and peace is restored to the land, but Xander is left shaken. This was the first time he came face to face to his direct counterpart. He realizes that the same god he prays to for the power to topple these evil hierarchies 
is the same God who grants the evil hierarchies Xander fights against power. Xander then has to take a deep, long look inside himself and decide whether Corinus is worth following. This is one example of a faith crisis. In this example, the character, Xander, could decide that he wants to continue serving Corinus or not, but the conflict is there. Xander can no longer pray to his god without remembering fighting someone who did the same thing. Another great character driver is having a character find faith. <clears throat> and it probably goes without saying, but you'll want to make sure your player is alright with the direction you take them. That's a bit tricky to do, because most of the time you won't sit them down and reveal to them your master plan. Instead, you'll need to watch for signals to determine if they're alright with you trying to meddle with their players or with their character's faith. In most cases, you put out the adventure hook or the plot hook, and if the player bites, then they are interested in seeing what happens. In some cases, you'll have to know your player, like if you have the player serving a god that has them doing good things, and the player finds out that the god has been evil the whole time, that might make them angry. But other characters, it wouldn't. Thanks again for listening to our show. If you like our content and would like to engage with more of it, head over to our Instagram account, at HowToBeABetterDM, and give us a follow. Make sure to watch some of our Dungeon Master Rules videos while you're there to give yourself some more structure and procedure as a Dungeon Master. Also, don't forget to reach out with a DM, and we can talk shop, and I can get to know you a little bit better. Thanks again for listening. Right? Uh, but anyways, I divert myself. So, in most people's lives, <clears throat> finding faith is a very long process, and a very important one. Finding faith and faith crises, 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 <laughs> are very intertwined because often it's questions that lead the searching soul to find some sort of peace with the answers supplied by a faith or a belief. So if your player character has a lot of moral questions, you can try placing religious or faith-based figures in their path. Let's say another example, Tarion, grew up on the streets of Bastion City, the capital of one of the nations in my homebrew setting. Tarion wasn't an orphan, but he was often left alone because his parents were altogether terrible at being parents. They didn't really care for Tarion and only spoke to him to demand that he clean something or go steal something. And because of this, Tarion grew up dirty and mangy, both in a literal sense and in a metaphorical sense. But Tarion was strangely gifted a kind and gentle heart, and being forced to do those things hurt him every day. Finally, Tarion finds friends and leaves the city as an adventurer. Along the way, he meets a priest of Ossus, who teaches that people can live within the harmony of nature and that naturally people are good. He is deeply touched by these teachings and decides to devote his life to Ossus. He revels in the outdoors and the peace that being away from cities bring. Let me also be clear that just because one of your characters finds their faith does not mean that you can't turn around and hand them a faith crisis. Most people who join new religions often have to make sacrifices and change their way of life. And if the character didn't have a faith crisis at some point, then it wouldn't really seem real and the character would seem like they were in denial. So uh, you can often, you know, go faith crisis, finding faith, faith crisis, finding faith, kind of go back and forth, right? <clears throat> now let's talk about creating a homebrew religion. The religion you create for your world has to match the world and its themes and style. For example, if you created a world that was very much like Cartoon Land from Who Framed Roger Rabbit, then the religion wouldn't have to make sense at all. 
On the other hand, if your world is set in simple Faerun, then it's probable that most of the tenets of the religion need to have some semblance of believability. Not everything will need to make sense, but you won't have people who worship a sun god rubbing jelly on, the, on their underarms as a sacred ritual. That just wouldn't fit. Usually, with religions, you start with the god and then work backwards. <clears throat> if you have one god or many, your creativity can be unbounded. But whatever rules or tenets of the religion you decide to stipulate, make sure that there is a religious reason behind it and that it follows the feel of the god. Let me give a few examples. <clears throat> In Integrity, my homebrew world, there are, uh, there's a god named Elas, or commonly called Wing. She is the god of freedom, of the wind, of wanderers and exploration. She is prayed commonly to by travelers who go where the wind takes them, and by free spirits who don't have a care in the world. She does not really have an organized religion. Her followers sort of follow gurus who spring up here and there after they've communed with her or reached a deep level of freedom, right? Just a very unorganized situation. <clears throat> now, let's contrast that with Coronis, the god of leaders, fathers, hierarchies. Coronis definitely has a well-established religion with levels within the clergy and ways to advance up the ranks. In fact, Bastion, one of the nations of integrity, is a monarchical theocracy, with the king of Bastion being the head of Coronis's church. This is exactly what I mean. You need to craft the religion to be modeled after the god or goddesses. I find that when making a new religion, you want to ask a few questions. What sort of organization will it have? What sort of rituals and ceremonies will it have? Will this religion change based on the environment or region? What does the average follower of this region do on a weekly basis to observe the religion? How does the religion impact families? How is this religion regarded by local political entities? How does this religion discipline its errant members? How are the teachings of this religions kept or communicated? What are some holy sites of the religion? How involved is the deity of this religion, and do they show up every now and then and prophesy? With all these questions, you can generate the bulk of the religion. But let me be also clear that, in most cases, you will never write the entire religion down. And it probably won't even be necessary for your game. Because you'll just create as much as you want or can, and then let your players, quote-unquote, discover the rest. Finally, let's talk about how to coach your players to role-play their faith and piety. I suppose this section of the show is really just talking about role-playing in general, but we might be able to make a few points specific about religion. If the player really wants to role-play things really well, I would highly recommend they start to look into some of Earth's religions, actually. In college, I took a Religions of the World class, and in it I learned about so many religions that weren't my own, and the thing that I learned most deeply was... Uh, a respect for all of these displays of faith. Many people who follow religion do so at great sacrifice to themselves. So as a role player, you want to be cognizant of that fact, that someone who has faith will not know everything, but will probably do things anyways because of their deep belief. They'll do things that they don't quite understand sometimes. In role playing, this might look like a character having some real emotional anguish over whether or not they need to help pay a money to a beggar. Or, you know, for fun flavor, you can make up a religious holiday that your character's religion celebrates, and in the middle of a long travel sequence, 
randomly roleplay it. You know, as a DM, if you have a character that you know is religious, this might be a fun way to help them sort of roleplay. <clears throat> For example, you could have your player, you could have your character wake up that morning and cook some sweet cakes and give them to everyone in the party and then randomly throughout the day throw pebbles at everyone just like we pinch people who don't wear green on St. Patrick's Day. Though that isn't a full religion, religious holiday, but you get the idea. <clears throat> As a DM, you can give your players things to roleplay with. For example, if the, the characters enter a tavern, you might have someone in the tavern wearing a symbol of the character's religion. And then that PC and NPC can sort of meet each other and kind of geek out over the religion for a sec. Or you can go the opposite way and have the NPC wearing a symbol of a rival deity and immediately have tension in the room for no other reason other than the appearance of rivals. Simple things like this can go a long way if your player is already up for role-playing and trying to get into character. Overall, I think religion and faith in D&D is a very cool aspect that you can do a lot with. Clerics and paladins get their magical energy from the gods, for crying out loud. In a world where people can get magical energy to do spells and kill people, lots of things can happen. So be willing to experiment and try new things so your players can get the best experience possible. I'd love to hear your thoughts on today's show. Send me a direct message at how to be a better DM or uh, on Instagram at monsters.rent, monstersrent. Uh, we'd love to see if you can help us add to this episode. But thanks for listening to the show today, my friend. I, I truly appreciate you being willing to let me talk with you. And uh, I, I hope that I was able to add to your day and to your games and to your life. Uh, I hope you can join the conversation with me sometime as well. We'll be back next week for another great show. But until then, let's go ahead and roll initiative. <laughs>